This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The question of greater diversity has made its way all the way to the Federal Reserve. A body that has been primarily run by white males is in need of a makeover, potentially, according to a new report by Brookings. Peter Connie Brown, assistant professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School, as well as a historian around the Federal Reserve, is one of the authors of this new report, and he joins us right now. Peter, great to talk to you again. It has been too long. It has been far too long, Dan. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, let me start just overall uh, of what had you thinking about looking at this in a topic in the first place? My co-author, Caleb Nygaard at Yale, and I had been talking for some time based on some research that he had done separately and that I had done separately about the governance of the Federal Reserve System. And given how important it is for us uh, as a country to have a central bank that includes the very best of our of our nation, the most uh, the the best and most rigorous discussion of the appropriate course. We, uh, we wanted to look closely at diversity in the ranks of the Federal Reserve banks and their uh, their boards of directors to see just how much those boards look like America. And so, how much diversity is there right now amongst these twelve uh, regional banks? Better in 2021 than even in 2019, but I'll tell you that over the course of the Fed's history, the results are quite uh, quite abysmal. Um, through most of the Fed's, nearly all of the Fed's century of existence, the uh, the highest ranks of these Federal Reserve banks are overwhelmingly white, male, and drawn from the local business communities uh, and banking communities without even particular expertise in questions of monetary economics or macroeconomics, monetary policy. Which I find interesting when you're talking about, in many cases, kind of the people that are are, are the ones that, that help to kind of set the path for a lot of uh, these plans. Uh, to not have that experience is, is, I think, will take some people aback. Yeah, it should. Uh, you know, the, the primary job for these directors is to participate in the selection of the Federal Reserve Bank presidents. They, in turn, are our central bankers. They make monetary policy. One of the most striking uh, things that we found in the study is just how ill-equipped these directors seem to be at that fundamental task. Never mind the fact that they do not look like uh, America by and large, although that is, of course, changing. Um, it, the fact that they don't have the expertise to select the, the people who are, are, are to do the job they're given uh, is, is, to use your word, quite striking. We're joined by uh, Peter Conti Brown of the Wharton School. I mean, when you look at, at kind of the, the headline individuals, uh, the actual uh, presidents of these Federal Reserve Banks, uh, you see out of 12, three women, one African-American and one man of Indian descent, uh, Neil Kashkari, uh, in Minneapolis. Right, right. Uh, and again, here's something that's interesting. You know, the United States broke the color line in selecting its president before the Federal Reserve broke the color line in selecting Federal Reserve Bank presidents. The African-American you identify, Raphael Bostic, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, was appointed to his role uh, in 2017 uh, or 2018. Um, almost a decade after uh, the United States elected uh, Barack Obama. These changes, and the only other uh, individuals of color in the history of the Federal Reserve Banks, 
are Neil Kashkari in Minneapolis, his predecessor, uh, Narayana uh, Gugger Lakota, also in Minneapolis. And uh, it's, it, when you look at this data about, about when each bank broke the color line for its directors, you can kind of get a better sense of it. The, we didn't see uh, an African-American um, director of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City until 1992. And then that's yeah. 15 years after Congress amended the Federal Reserve Act to instruct the Federal Reserve Banks in selecting these directors uh, to ensure that they are not practicing discrimination on the basis of race, color, nationality, gender, and, and, and religion. Uh, and yet the effect uh, has not been striking. And, and these are these individuals leading these uh, regional banks, these are people that are, are, for the most part, they're not lifetime appointments. They do have terms that have, you know, length to them, and, and they are changed out on a, I guess, on a, on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, I mean, we, the, the tenure for Reserve Bank presidents, is, it can be quite lengthy, but the terms are for five years. They're renewable. And there's a, a mandatory um, age-based retirement uh, for these presidents to make sure that things uh, circulate. Uh, and so there are... Constantly, opportunities, uh, just about every year, for us to go through this process of selecting uh, our, our central bankers. Now, when you think about how much attention we pay to the appointment of, you know, uh, federal judges, not even the Supreme Court, or how much, you know, there's how much controversy there is on lower-level Department of Justice appointments, and then how little attention we pay to the appointments of the Federal Reserve Bank presidents, and how little we attention we can pay because of how secret yeah. these processes are. You see a really, a really stark contrast. Uh, and it's not because the Federal Reserve Bank presidents are, are unimportant. The opposite is true. These are some of the most important economic policy positions in the world. And so the fact that all of this is sort of wrapped in opacity and secrecy uh, makes it extremely hard to, to hold the Fed accountable and also, for better or for worse, to congratulate the Fed when it does well but also yeah. to, to see change when it doesn't. And then when you're talking about, you know, each of these regional banks, uh, I would imagine there's a variety of committees that are also uh, tied to them uh, that are looking at a variety of different issues and topics. And, and what's the diversity like on, on, in that area? Yeah, rephrase that for me again. Well, so, I mean, obviously you have the, 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 uh, the 12 regional banks, you have leaders of them, uh, and then I would imagine you have a variety of people that are working within these regional banks that are providing, uh, you know, important roles, and, and I'm wondering how much diversity is within each one of these 12 regional banks. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, uh, you're putting your finger on a really important dynamic. In every Federal Reserve Bank, there are essentially three levels of uh, our classifications of, um, uh, call them employees or affiliates, uh, that are appointed through separate processes. The first is the Federal Reserve Bank president. We'll talk about them. Then the subject of our study, which is the Federal Reserve Bank directors, they aren't, they aren't full-time. They're appointed from the communities following a, a pretty intricate process that's defined by statute. And the third are the ones you just mentioned this question, which is uh, you know the, uh, uh, the thousands of employees of the Federal Reserve Bank uh, banks throughout the, the country. The diversity that we can see, based on the studies that have been done, some of the Fed itself, um, look a lot like finance in general, slightly better than finance in general, which is to say uh, there it has been a lot of progress over the last decade or so and a long way to go before we see 
in the ranks of the employees of the uh, of the Federal Reserve banks something like um, a, uh, a a version of our country that's more representative. You also see pockets of, of gendered and racialized work within the Federal Reserve banks, as you see elsewhere. Some more secretarial and staff support work uh, is more diverse, whereas the policymaking roles of the um, uh, of leadership are less so. Now, this is a problem that's facing uh, uh, the country as a whole. And I don't want to single out the Federal Reserve as being particularly bad. And indeed, there's some indications that they're moving a little bit better than uh, the closest uh, in industry analog, which would be finance. And so our, uh, but a lot of this data is not public uh, and it's summarized. So what we, what we did that's novel in this study is we looked through every single, over 2,000 different appointments to these reserve bank uh, directorships to, to look at them individually. And I think that level of, of analysis would be really important at the staff level, to be sure. Well, and one of the things we've talked with you about in the past uh, involves the independence of the Fed from the federal government and how important that is. But in the scope of of this conversation, that independence makes the Federal Reserve, in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, more like a business than it does a government agency. And, And I'm wondering how that may play into this dynamic of diversity. It's a great. It's a great question. As you know from our previous conversations and other work I've done, this idea that the Fed is independent is such a slippery concept. It's very tricky to nail down uh, with precision because the ways that the Fed is insulated from politics change over time. Uh, it's not uh, hermetic steel uh, from from uh, political intrusion by any stretch. But what that that is a, a two sided sword, right? So the reason we want that insulation is so that political calculus on the course of monetary policy doesn't dominate um, uh, a more economic calculus or one that's uh, for the social welfare of the country. That also means that the metrics of uh, accountability that we normally associate with political governance aren't as available to us when we're looking deep inside the Federal Reserve. And so it makes it extremely difficult for us to understand uh, exactly how, uh, you know, how it was that the Kansas City Fed didn't break the color line until 1992 uh, with its directors. Why is it we've only had one African-American as a Federal Reserve Bank president? And why don't we know this? Because the processes in place to appoint these folks looks a lot more like the process for appointing you know, directors of Wells Fargo. I could look up right now who the members are of the board of directors of Wells Fargo, but unless some journalist has really done her work, I don't know the story of how uh, each candidate was selected and why and who the alternatives were. And that's okay. That's, uh, you know, it's a private sector business, uh, and, uh, and and we kind of understand how, how that works. But is the Federal Reserve private sector? Uh, kind of, in some ways, uh, for sure, has certain elements of it and has had since 1913. But in function and purpose, it is a quintessential public institution. And so that insulation politics with that veil of the private sector at the Federal Reserve Bank, banks really complicates our ability to fix what is, uh, uh, nearly everyone agrees, a very serious problem. And, and so and so you also, and I think this is a kind of the unique aspect of, of this report, is obviously there is the question of diversity, whether it be gender, race, etc., but you also, as you kind of alluded to before, look at this diversity from 
kind of the 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 historical uh, mind of thought uh, professionally, thinking about uh, you know the the numbers of people that are involved with the Fed and the different uh, governorships uh, that do not have a PhD in economics, that really are not coming from manufacturing backgrounds, not in finance, uh, not in the labor sector, and so this is a, a, a I think an interesting aspect to how the Fed runs and, and kind of what the expectation of what the Fed and its its uh, regional banks should be moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a really good summary. I mean, our approach to diversity is uh, not to get uh, uh, too academic. You know, one of the one of the big debates we're having where, not, where uh, reasonable people disagree is whether racial and gender diversity is important in its own right or any for or any or no reason to say, uh, uh, make sure that we have uh, uh, diverse representation. And another argument is we want diversity for what it gives us, and that is a diversity of perspectives. Uh, the life right. of a professional woman uh, uh, is likely to differ in, a, in appreciable respects from uh, a man, and that that difference of perspectives makes policy better. And we don't take a stand on that debate in this report, but the, uh, we do look at a number of metrics that are separate from race or gender, uh, to see what other perspectives are heard, what other seats are, there are at the table. And it's, it's really surprising uh, what you see. As you said, manufacturing in stark decline, not only through the country, but also in representation. Labor, yeah. which is mentioned specifically in stat- the statute Congress wrote in identifying who should participate in these roles, is basically a non-entity. Uh, almost no uh, labor representation. In, in the Federal Reserve's history. It's more recently, but there's still some, uh, including Atlanta, uh, the site of a lot of debates about labor, uh, has never had a labor representative on its, on its board. Um, and the fact that, you know, that uh, a lot of people complain that there are too many Ph.D. economists in, within the Federal Reserve system, we, uh, well, we, that's a claim I'm pretty sympathetic to on the same basis. But what's so yes. interesting is how few of these directors not only have PhDs in economics, but also have any training in monetary economics or monetary policy. And yet they're the ones who are selecting uh, the, the folks who will do monetary policy uh, and with uh, looking at the entire macroeconomy. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's a pretty remarkable result. So, so you and Caleb uh, bring forth some recommendations that you would like to see potentially start to move forward on. Give us a synopsis of what you're looking for. Right. We, you know, we, we kind of stack them in most feasible uh, to, uh, to least feasible. Most feasibly, the Fed and the Federal Reserve Banks, by the Fed I mean the Board of Governors, should release tomorrow a much clearer sense to the public of how these Reserve Bank presidents and uh, how these Reserve Bank directors are selected. We know that uh, at the highest level, the statutory process, and a little bit more than that, what we need is some sort of sense that so we can check their work and say, hey, this is how we go about selecting candidates for this. Is it just word of mouth at the local country club? Uh, is it people choosing their own successors? Uh, or is there a, a, a more diligent search trying to find talent from all corners of the reserve uh, the Federal Reserve Districts. We don't know. And so that should be released uh, immediately. Um, we also think, you know, probably least feasibly, it's worth asking uh, why we have the system that we have. And most people just tell you, oh, that's the system that we inherited. 
And uh, it, you, you, if you try to break it, if you try to do something totally new, how do you know that what you're going to have on the other side is actually going to be better? And that's a fair critique. But if you took that attitude toward every public policy problem that we face, you'd never do anything. And we think that the, the archaic governance system, uh, the Federal Reserve System is uh, in, in need of a, of a refresher. And that might include turning the Reserve Bank, quote-unquote, board of directors into an advisory board and letting these public servants, the Federal Reserve Bank presidents, be selected through a more publicly accountable way. While we, uh, while we have you here, Peter, let me ask you quickly, because the Fed is uh, finishing up their latest FOMC meeting, and just get your reaction to how the Fed has been trying to handle all of this over the last 14 months and the expectations of the Fed. It's never been higher, uh, those expectations. Uh, the Fed has gone through a, a year of reinvention along at least two fronts and likely more. The two fronts are, of course, in reaction to COVID-19, the Powell Fed was on its front foot and a a real leader and innovator in terms of economic policy response. Um, And so that, uh, when the history of 2020 gets written uh, in first and second and third drafts, it's impossible to write the story of COVID-19 in the United States without talking about the central bank. Uh, and that's not an association that uh, would have come naturally. We were talking about this five yeah. years ago. In the event of a pandemic, would you expect the Federal Reserve to come out uh, smelling better than the CDC? No, you wouldn't expect that. But that's really uh, a fair characterization of what happened. Another is that the Fed is, has undertaken a, a, a rather dramatic reinterpretation of its statutory mandate, despite the fact that there's been no change to that legislation. Uh, and this year, in August of, or last year, in uh, August of 2020, the Fed launched its new monetary regime called Flexible Average Inflation Targeting, which has reversed priority uh, in its uh, dual mandate uh, from its historical uh, orientation. So it's put yeah. inflation control second and support for full employment first. You can literally look at the way that, that changed from one meeting to another. And so now we're seeing what that means, especially as uh, uh, asset prices uh, look uh, awfully high. Uh, other indications of, of small bursts of inflation are, are hitting the Fed's dashboard. And what this new regime says is, you know, we're going to stand pat. We're not going to overreact. And that's a difference not only from uh, the long history of the Fed, but even the short history. I mean, conversations you and I have had, Dan, on this radio show about changes to monetary policy from 2015 to 2018 – this is yeah. essentially a repudiation of that model. So buckle up, Dan. This is going to be a pretty wild <laughs> ride. Peter, thanks again. Great to talk to you as always. Great to talk to you. You got it. Peter Connie Brown, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.